Welcome to an Elite Smart Athletes podcast. My name is Tolu and I'm a strength and conditioning coach and basketball skills trainer. But being an elite athlete is more than just lifting weights and doing drills. Every human has to deal with deeper thoughts. So this is the podcast where your inner athlete talks. So on today's episode of the Inner Athlete Talks podcast, I want to go into a question that I get asked quite frequently, both from younger players, or mainly from younger players, but also from older players as well. And that doesn't actually surprise me because it is also something that I personally struggle with, which is, what do you do if you play really well in practice, but then it just does not translate to games? Like, how can you bridge that gap so that the superstar that you are in practice essentially is able to come out in actual games. Obviously, this is an extremely problematic issue because you're not going to get cut from the team for playing badly because you go into practice every day and prove yourself, but for some reason, it's just not just not translating into the games really and I guess it does seem like an obvious fix but I'm just going to go into some of the different factors that I think can play a part in this essentially obviously before I get into all of that if you're an audio listener then please do rate the podcast um, and you know give it a five-star review ideally but you know be honest leave it a review and uh, let me know what you think of it let me know what kind of topics you want me to talk about Um, if you're a visual watcher of the podcast on YouTube then again subscribe like leave a comment and um, check out the link in the description below. There are also links for some product discounts that I've got for you. For example, a 15% discount on this joint supplement by Avea Life. It's called the Mobilizer. It is really good for helping with joint pain because it has UC2 collagen in there. And if you don't know about the benefits of collagen, you need to check out a YouTube video that I did on the benefits of collagen. It was more about joint pain stuff. Obviously, joint tissues are made up of collagen for the most part. And when you combine collagen with vitamin C, vitamin C helps our bodies to absorb that collagen into the right places where we need it so that we can build up stronger joints, which will be helpful for athletes of all sports, uh, especially if you're suffering from joint issues like myself with my knee pain. Um, It's a product that I personally do use. I've been using it for the past month or so now. Um, I had a knee injury where I had a slight tear in my patella tendon, and I think that the injury occurred because I didn't have a supplement for a while, but I got onto this supplement and the bounce back from the injury has been so much quicker than in the past. So I would highly recommend it. 15% discount for you guys if you use the code ELITESMART. The link will be in the podcast notes if you're an audio listener or in the description of the video if you are watching on YouTube. Now this concept of being able to practice really well but then not perform well when it comes to the main stage uh, can apply to any sport. So obviously, you know, basketball is my main sport. I also grew up playing football. And those are the two sports that I kind of work towards being a higher level for. I'm also athletics a little bit, but um, it can work for solo sports or team sports. It doesn't really matter. It's definitely something that all athletes can benefit from and definitely something that I think the majority of athletes have probably experienced unless you've been dominating from when you were a kid all the way into the pros. And even at the pro level, there's only a few that continue to dominate. So how do we make it translate? So I know that an obvious thing to say would be, well, just work harder. You train harder and then you'll play better in games. But I think that when people, you know, come to me with this and, you know, when I personally experienced it, it's not that they're not working hard. In fact, it's probably the opposite, that they're probably working super, super hard. It's just there's a different factor that's affecting the translation into games. Now, the first thing that I would always talk to athletes about before even trying to assess what to do is, are you being honest with yourself? Like, are you actually dominating in practice? Because if you're not, 
then you're just kind of setting yourself up for disappointment. So I don't mean that to make anyone feel bad or to cuss out anyone's game, but you know, you have to make sure you're truly dominating in practice for it to make sense. So make sure you're doing that. Tackle the low hanging fruit first. So if you genuinely maybe aren't up to the same skill level or aren't of the right athleticism, then make sure you tackle all of those things first before you then try to assess what the, the gap is between a practice and game. But I don't believe that's the case for most people that experience this. I think that they genuinely are dominating in their practices, but the games are just not, it's just not happening in the game. So I'll go into why now. So if you are genuinely dominating in your practices, I think the first thing you have to check is, is what you're seeing in practice the same thing that you're seeing in games? And that can be both from like an intensity standpoint, a speed standpoint, um, just the defenders that you're seeing, the situations you find yourself in, whatever it may be, are you actually seeing the same things in practice as you are in a game? Because the crux of it is if you're not, then of course it's not gonna translate. Think about how much time you spend in practice versus a game. The ratio definitely skews in favor of practices or workouts versus actual game scenarios. So if you're doing a lot of stuff in a practice scenario that is completely different to the game scenarios, it's very hard for it to translate unless you have a extremely well-rounded game. So the first thing I like to, to look at is the intensity, because again, I feel like a lot of the people that experience this are actually those people that are extremely hard workers. So they go into practice, they are just putting in all the work, they're trying to win all the drills, they're running as hard as they can, they're breaking a huge sweat. And then they might have teammates that aren't necessarily like that. So as I said earlier, I, I like football and I've seen with a lot of football players, um, especially back in the day, like the early 2010s, um, there were players like Adel Tarapt, obviously the streets will never forget, um, and Dimitar Berbatov. Those are two players who, when you see them in games, in a stadium with loads of people, oh, they, they're like the most talented players on earth. Like no one could really stop them. And you know, you would think that in training, they would be doing the same thing. But when you hear stories from their teammates, they would be like, nah, these guys would just be smoking and stuff. They'll go to like shisha bars after practice. They wouldn't really want to practice. They just weren't really about the whole practice thing. I know a lot of people are thinking of the Alan Iverson quote, but if you actually look at the context of that quote, that's not what he meant. Um, he wasn't talking about not working out and stuff. But besides the point, um, there are those players who, when they go to train, they, they just don't like to train. Training is not their thing. So they just like to go and play games. So think about whether your teammates are those kind of players. Like, look at how they warm up. Like, do they warm up super lazy? It's something that I do notice quite a lot with um, professional athletes sometimes that they kind of go through the motions a little bit with warm-ups, um, more of them than not. Um, whereas me, as someone who wanted to play pro, um, I, I would be going hard, like making sure I hit every stretch, every drill. But um, yeah, they just be chilling. And then all of a sudden they come out with like um, a women of that and you're just like how how did you do that like he, you know that he ain't even stretched the whole thing like it's literally that so um think about whether the intensity that you're seeing in practice is the same as the game because if it's not then you might it's not that it's your fault but you might be being fooled into thinking that you're dominating practice uh when you really aren't you're, you're playing against people that are playing at 50 percent as opposed to playing at their 400 percent but then the second thing I like to think of is, are you in the same scenarios in practice as you would be in games? Now, you know, speaking as a basketball player, you know, we have particular sets and plays, especially in the youth levels. Um, you might run particular systems and, you know, you have spots that you're gonna be in. So 
I don't think that your coaches are going to put you in spots in practice that you're not necessarily going to see in games as much. And the amount of freedom they'll give you in practice is very likely to be the amount of freedom that you have in a game. I think that the issue is the defenders that you see. So, for example, I am 6'4". Uh, if you've followed this channel for a while or you've listened to, to me and my content for a while, you'll know that I grew up as an undersized big man. Um, so what that means is that for my position, I was not as tall as is typically expected for that position. You know, I was about, especially when I was younger, let's say when I was 17, 18, I was around 6'2 then. Um, and I was going up against guys that were 6'11", 7 foot. And that was my matchup and I was expected to guard them. The reason that I was going up against them is because I was the tallest person on my team. So it literally wouldn't have made sense for anyone else to go up against them. The issue was that in practice, I had no one to mimic that scenario in a game. There were no seven footers on my team. So the only time I went up against seven footers was in a game. So they were the only reps I was getting. And that's all based on me actually playing the whole game as well. You know, because then imagine you're not even getting as many minutes too, because that's another factor that can play into it. Because in practice, you're going to get way more touches, way more reps, whereas in a game, you might not get as many. So you know, combining those two factors of are you actually seeing the same same defense and are you seeing it for long enough to know how to adjust? It's it's kind of like you're just not getting the correct game-like reps in practice as you would need. So how do you solve that? Well, it might sound weird and especially, you know, being younger, I don't think I would have done this when I was a teenager. I'm not even going to lie to you guys. But, you know, it's something that I do now as an older player. I play in a recreational league with a lot of pros and ex-pros. Um, and... We don't really have like team practices like that. So, you know, the only way to get your reps is to go and work out by yourself, to be honest. And again, because a lot of them are former pros, they genuinely do want to work out. So I just go up to some of them after a game, especially if they're people that I match up with. And I'll be like, yo, like, when do you work out? Or do you want to work out? And I go and I work out with them because one, you know, a lot of them have played at a higher level than I've ever played at. So it helps me get better. But two, I start to learn their tendencies a little bit. And I was listening to All The Smoke with Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes. It's their podcast where they interviewed Alan Iverson. I think it was back in 2020. And he was talking about how Kobe Bryant, um, who, if you know me well enough, then you know I love Kobe. Um, he used to do this. He would just invite players out for dinner, uh, opposition players that he's got to go and play either the next week or maybe he's just going to play them at some point in the future and he'd do it over the summer and he'd just do it just to figure them out a little bit and all three of them when they were talking they were just like yeah yeah you know how he does that like just to try and get into your head and figure you out a little bit so um you know spending time with the people that you're going to play just to understand them but also you know try and practice against them as well so that when it comes into a game it feels more normal so essentially everything i've said so far is just about mimicking the game environment in your training as much as possible, whether that's in an individual workout or in your team practices. Um, and maybe talk to your coaches, talk to your teammates, tell them that look, in the game, the looks that I'm getting in practice are not the same looks that I see in a game. So how can we work on that as a team? You know, because your performance is gonna affect the overall team if you do play a team sport. Or if you're an individual sport, again, your coach is gonna be watching. So. It's the same kind of thing. Just talk to your coaches about it. Um, again, in individual sport, talk, you know, maybe you train with your competitors just to see how they train. Maybe they train differently to you. Maybe they, they are training at another level that you've not even thought about or been exposed to yet. So the more exposure you can get to different scenarios that are more game-like or more comp competition-like, then the more it can translate 
to your game slash competition. And sometimes the opposite could actually be applicable where instead of looking for the people that are better than you to play against or the people that mimic it, maybe sometimes you might need to play down a level just to build up the confidence of getting the right reps in the right spots so that you know that you can try certain things in a game or you know exactly where to try something, how to try something, and because you're getting more game-like reps. So, you know, it's not just playing up is the, the only way to get better. Sometimes playing down to build up that confidence can also work as well, because all of this stuff is just gonna help you with your confidence going forward. Now, speaking of confidence, we should also address the mental aspect of, you know, practice not necessarily translating to games. So we have to think, is there a pressure component? Because let's be real, that is the main different mental aspect that's there. Practice is practice. A game is a game. It has stakes, it's recorded, your stats are there, and someone wins, someone loses. So there is a difference in pressure that is inevitable and we have to deal with it if we want to be an athlete. And again, basketball-wise, let's think of the NBA bubble again. I love to use this example. I've used it in many YouTube videos, including one that I did about building an elite athlete mentality, which I will link in the podcast notes and in the YouTube description. So check that video out but essentially we saw in the NBA bubble when there was no crowds around we saw different players kind of pop up as superstars and I'm I'm thinking of TJ Warren mainly he was essentially the bubble MVP he came out and balled out and he didn't all of a sudden over a pandemic lockdown period work on his skills that much to a point where he was just way better than everybody else I don't think that that was the case I think that the fact that there was no crowd there, no hecklers, it reduced the pressure level. It made it more similar to practice. And I've already spoken about us mimicking that practice scenario. So it made it more similar to practice for him, whereby it felt easy. And the fact that now, you know, two, three years later, he hasn't necessarily replicated that form yet, kind of suggests that, yeah, the lack of crowd and the lack of pressure was the thing that, kind of allowed him to perform as he did. On the other hand, you have players like Playoff Jimmy, or, you know, I have to give him his respect, Playoff Himmy, he's one of my favorite players in the NBA right now, who during the regular season, I'm not gonna say he's chilling, but like, he's just kind of, he's doing his thing. He's making sure his team gets wins where they need to. And then they came in through the eight seed, but as soon as the postseason started, where it's win or go home, he turned it on. He turned it on and, he became playoff Hemi and carried his team to the NBA Finals again for the second time in, in three years or four years, I think. And, you know, although he didn't win the chip, we can see that he thrives off of pressure. He loves it. It's just who he is. He's a gritty kind of guy, and that's just how he plays. Would I recommend trying to be like playoff Jimmy? I probably wouldn't. I wouldn't suggest it because it is hard for most people to just turn it on and off like that. It's not necessarily easy. You kind of want to be kind of consistent or at least ramp yourself up throughout the season gradually, which is probably more likely what he's doing. It's not just suddenly on and off when the postseason comes. It's gradually getting himself um, hyped up for the for the postseason, which is what LeBron would do as well. And that's why he had such a long stretch of constantly uh, making the NBA finals over like a decade. So you know, that gradual increase is there, but if you can keep it consistent, keep it consistent. I think that's better than not, right? Because then you can dominate at all times. But nonetheless, we can see the two examples of where pressure impacts how well a player can play. So we need to be able to deal with that pressure. How do we do that? Well, I think firstly is obviously from a mental standpoint. And again, in that video about elite athlete mentality, I spoke about self-talk and, you know, the type of self-talk we can use to try and essentially mimic the types of pressure we'll feel. 
One thing I like to do with players is actually see whether you play better at home or away, because I think both of them have different levels of pressure. So when you play at an away crowd, the obvious pressure is there. They are, they are hecklers. They do not want you to win. They want their team to win and they will do what it takes. And it's funny that we've seen so many NBA players kind of get into bust ups with, with fans as of late. But um, their job is to be there as the sixth man to help you. Or if we're talking about football, the 12th man that's there is the crowd. Um, they're supposed to boy on their team to, to get them over the line to victory. And that's why home court advantage, home advantage is a real thing. Now, some players play better in that environment because it's like, they don't, I don't know them and I'm here to prove them wrong. And they kind of like the conflict. They like that impact. I'm one of those kind of guys. I love playing in away games. When I looked at my stats um, for most seasons, if I play in an away game with an away crowd, I do really well. Um, ironically, in the rec league that I play in, my first couple seasons were pretty great stats-wise and it's kind of declined a little bit. Reason being, well, I'll go on to the pressures of playing at home. When you're at home, it's a different kind of pressure because now the pressure is on you to win, to not let those fans down. Especially at a lower level, you probably personally know most of the fans in the crowd. And, you know, imagine you've been telling them all this time, yo, I'm putting in work on my, on my sport. I need to keep working. I'm, I'm on the grind. Basketball never stops. The grind don't stop. Now you've, got to, now you've got to prove it. You've got to show them that, yo, you've been grinding and this grind actually pays off and you're actually good at what you do. So that's the kind of pressure that, I personally wasn't that great at handling. And so when I play in this rec league, which is at a central venue, it's neutral. But when I first arrived in, in Dubai to play in this league, it, it's like I didn't know anybody because I first arrived. So I played well because I didn't have that pressure. But now I've built up relationships with people and now I know people and it's like, oh, okay. Now that, that internal pressure of like, okay, I need to show them what I can do. And then, you know, slightly, slightly declined a little bit. So that's a whole different kind of pressure. Which one do you deal better with? And then we go back to the self-talk. So perhaps the people that play better away might need to actually use more positive self-talk in their practices and workouts, because it's almost like they need to work on being comfortable with that kind of almost comforting, supporting energy. Um, because it's almost like that energy makes them uncomfortable or adds an internal pressure within where they're overthinking and doing too much. And they need to be able to essentially detach themselves from that kind of energy that just because someone's supporting you just because you know people doesn't mean you have any sort of reliance on them or any, you don't owe them anything in your performance. You just have to go out and play. In the same vein, those people who don't play as well away from home, maybe they need to, well, again, within reason, but use maybe slightly less positive self-talk. I won't necessarily say negative self-talk, but slightly less positive, just because they need to be able to get comfortable with those uncomfortable situations of like a heckler, someone who's not supporting them, someone who wants them to fail, and being able to prove that person wrong. And also equally detach themselves so that they stay in the middle. You're never too far to one side or too far to the other. And that is one of the best ways within your workouts that you can work on trying to essentially work on handling pressure. But there's also the actual skill slash training component where you can apply pressure through your drills. So for example, let's say with basketball again, let's say you're just doing some, some shooting drills. Well, if you just go out and just aim to just make a number of shots and there's no parameters on it, you know, you've got all the time in the world, there isn't really any pressure, you're just kind of doing it. And there's nothing to work on from a mental standpoint there. But let's say it's okay, you have to make 100 shots, but you only have 200 shots in total to take. Now it's like, okay, cool. 
there's slightly more pressure there. Now it's, okay, you only have 150 shots in total. Now you only have 125. Oh, well now, the less and less you have to miss available in the bank, the more important each shot is, the more pressure slightly increases. Uh, so now you're training your mental. And there's loads of different training modalities you can use to work on this. For example, there's the in-the-bank method where you make one and it adds one to the bank, you miss one and it takes one away, and you can't go below a certain number. And so you'll be in a position where you'll know that oh, I can't miss this next shot, otherwise I'm out, I'm done. Um, or you have to make a certain number in a row, um, otherwise, you know, you have to reset, or you, you can't miss more than two in a row. All of these work your ability to handle pressure in a different way because it's challenging the way that you can handle psychological momentum, the way that you can handle the ups and the downs. And being able to, again, as I said, stay even killed, stay in that middle position so that you'll be able to handle the pressure. And that's something that could possibly help you when it comes to translating from practice into a game. Because now in your practices, you're mimicking the pressure scenarios of a game, not just the literal physical scenarios as well. So you're tackling both the skill and maybe the athleticism, but also the mental aspect of a game too. So I hope that gives you a bit of guidance on how to maybe translate your practices into games, but it's not perfect and it's not a bulletproof method. Like I still struggle with this personally, something I'm getting better with, but still something that I'm working on for myself, let alone for the athletes that I work with. So it's, it's not easy, it's not simple, but it is workable. So it's something that you can try to work. It's better to try and train it than not and just be left thinking like, why can't, why can't I do this? You don't wanna be a practice player or a workout warrior. You wanna actually perform in games where it matters most. And speaking of that, shout out to my guy, game-based training, AKA Daniel. Um, he is essentially, I wanna say he's my trainer whenever I'm in London, um, where I will be in a couple of weeks, but um, he's also just kind of like my workout partner. And his whole thing is about making sure that all training that you do is mimicking the game scenarios. He is a pro player. I've done an interview with him on the channel a couple of years ago as well, so you can check that out. I'll link it in the podcast notes and the YouTube description as well. But, you know, that's all we're trying to do, mimic the game scenarios from every aspect of the game so that we can become elite players, essentially. So that's what we're trying to do. I hope that this has given you some good guidance. As I said, leave a rating and review on the audio platforms. Um, obviously head over to the YouTube side of things as well. Watch the visuals too, because there might be some things you've missed. Um, also remember, joint supplement by Avea Life, the mobilizer, get 15% off with code Elite Smart, and the link will be in the podcast notes and in the YouTube description as well. Follow Elite Smart Athletes on all platforms. And if you're looking for a coach, you can check out my online coaching on my website, www.elitesmartathletes.com, or you can get a free vertical jump workout if you just enter your email. But as always, until next time, stay blessed. Yeah.